If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome to In The Pink, sponsored by Bose. Stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Now let's talk about Bahrain One and that hugely dramatic crash. You know, all our hearts were in our mouths. Um, I've certainly never seen anything like it. I'm sure you haven't either. What did you make of what happened with Roman Grosjean at the start of the race? Uh, well, I've, well, I've seen fires before in my sort of early days of racing. So it was it was something for me that I, I had seen before. But I think it was just the dramatic way that Roman sort of Roman's car uh, basically sort of split that armco and went through the armco and then the car splitting in half. But um before that all happened, it was quite funny because obviously he was racing with a bunch of cars in front. I know Danny Kvyat was at his side, his, his right. And he could see there was a pack in front. And he knew that if he kept going in the, in the, in the way that he was, the direction he was going, he was going to get blocked in. So he could see on the right-hand side... It was clear. But of course, as he's moved over to that right hand side, he's got Kvyat of the side who's saying, I'm not moving out of the way. So then that clash happens. And of course, then you see him sort of rocking himself into into that barrier and just wow. And the wow is because the way the safety has come on nowadays. You know, if that was back in in my racing day, for sure, I don't think you know Roman would have walked away from it. Absolutely not. But I think with the something I was always not like and I remember Martin Brundle was the same we didn't really like the halo but that halo really did save Roman's life so it's brilliant that it's there and the lovely thing about that halo as I said I didn't like it before I don't look at it anymore I don't really notice it on the race car itself and the racing is carrying on so yeah that's a brilliant thing that that was able to to save Roman and what a spectacular crash it was but again it goes back to how the FIA um, the medical car that follows the, the cars around them that first lap, they were there so, so fast. And I think that was a brilliant organisational situation, again, that Formula One showed that it's very, very strong on. But brilliant, he's walked away from it. OK, it's in the latter part of, of his career, was in his latter part of his career, but uh, it's brilliant, he's walked away. OK, he's got those sort of little burns on his hands, but he's a... He's a strong character, Roman. He's been involved with a few incidents over the years. He's uh, improved upon that as time has gone by. And I think he was probably the right character to go through something like that, because I think when we saw the pictures of him in the back of the medical car, there was a little smile on his face. There wasn't any worry or, or shock in many respects of what, he, what he'd just gone through. And that's where I think 
racing drivers and I always say the motorbike drivers, the Grand Prix, sorry, the Grand Prix riders or the TT guys in the Isle of Man, they're wired in a, in a such a different way that they know that risk is there. They know they're willing to take that risk. And when it does happen, which is a thankfully a very rare thing, they're able to deal with it because they know that that risk is there. And I think Roman is that type of character that for sure uh, will get over it very, very quickly. And do you have to be that type of person to, to race in Formula One or indeed any motorsport category? Yeah, I, I, I think you do. I think everybody's wired in a slightly different way. And I always remember when this halo came along, I remember Daniel Ricciardo mentioning about, well, if it saves one life in 10 years, then it's going to be worth doing. And he was absolutely right. And that was the prime example. I know we've had a few little sort of closer shades, but that really did show the strength of these modern day Formula One cars. So Daniel was absolutely right at the end of the day. Yeah, they were a little bit shocked, I think, the drivers, and as, as you would be, um, seeing all those sort of replays of the, of, the, of the accident. And I know Daniel was one of those who wasn't very happy with that. But I think knowing that, we saw the pictures of Roman in the back of the car. For me, it would have been something, well, I know he's okay. And I know that what I'm sitting in as a, as a monocoque, you know, is going to be able to save me if I get in that situation again. So I always sort of think about, well, if I've seen a incident like, like we saw there, and then someone walks away from it, I think it gives you a good feeling that you know that you're in a safe, safe environment, but you've just got to be very aware that it, it could happen to you. And that's something that, it will happen down the line, I'm sure. Hopefully it will be a long, long time before it happens again. But there is always that chance. That's interesting. So you actually think showing the replays of him emerging will boost the confidence of the other drivers because they'll be heartened by just how uh, robust the safety measures and, and the reaction from the medical car was. Yeah. From my side, yes, because that's... That gives you a massive, you know, feeling inside of, of a positive thing of that, you know, everything is being done from from the teams designing the cars to the FIA who sort of implement all the rules and the regulations for it. And of course, then the marshals and then the medical team at the same time. We're all there to do exactly the same thing, which is to look after each other. And I think that just showed once again that uh, it works in a, in a very efficient way. Now, you say that... Racers are wired differently. Um, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> but when you reflect on that near fatal crash you had back in 88 in yeah. 3000, when the heroics, now that the heroics have, have calmed down and the, the media noise has quietened, what does Roman need to do psychologically, physically to get himself into a, a great place? Because obviously he doesn't want to end his career with that crash he wanted to come back to yeah. Abu Dhabi that was obviously unrealistic in in the circumstances but he does want to race again what does he need to do what did you do well for me it was slightly different because I hadn't got to Formula One I was right on that sort of edge I had a contract with Benetton which hadn't been signed at the, at the time I had my crash at Brands Hatch but, but I was always driven because I had that chance. So the accident happened. I had a lot of people talking to me, Enzo Ferrari, Frank Williams, uh, Peter Waugh from Lotus, and of course, Benetton, Peter Collins. Um, so I felt in a very, very good, good place. But of course, once that accident happened, all those communications I were having with people, except with Benetton, thankfully with Peter Collins, stopped. 
and I, they never, ever came back um, because I was damaged goods in many, many people's eyes, which when I look back, yes, I was. You know, would I have had that chance that I had back in 1989 now? Not a chance on earth, not a chance, because everybody's got to be the perfect, the perfect physical being to put in the car to get the best from them. I was never, as, as far as I'm concerned, never as good as I was before the accident. I was still good enough to do the job that I was able to do. But is that is that enough for the teams? Well, there's always going to be then that question mark. And that was something I was always battling battling from because I think having the damage to my to my ankles and to, and, to my, and to my feet that was always something I was having to to prove but I was given that chance by Benetton and Peter Collins to to get to my first race in Brazil finish fourth which everybody was like wow but that helped my career because everybody was just utterly in disbelief that I was able to 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 be able to achieve that but the mental side, I remember being in, in a wheelchair. My legs were still out, uh, straight out. Uh, I had still bandages on mainly on my left, my left ankle. And then I got a phone call. And that was when Benetton, Peter Collins, took up the option uh, for me to race in a Formula One car for the 1989 season. Now, that one moment made this go... Now I've got to work out. Now I know it's for real. And then I was able to sort of work very, very hard physically to get myself, you know, in the best possible place for that, for that race in Rio. You know, I wasn't really able to walk properly when I got to that first race in Brazil, but it was all about what I did in the cockpit itself. And as I said, I finished fourth, so it was absolutely brilliant. But I had something to aim at. And that's where the brain then becomes very, very powerful. For Roman, if he wants to carry on, maybe in Formula One, but let's say in, in maybe in sports cars, Le Mans, for example, if he's got that desire, I think that's where. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. mentally you can actually overcome that sort of 
you know, shock to the system that he had in, in Bahrain. And then you're able to sort of put it away. Because this is what I always did. I think I always did. I always put the incident and the injury and the challenge I had to get myself back into a Formula One car in a little box in the back of my mind. And I basically locked the key and threw it away. Because that had happened, I was still, as I am now, I'm able to walk around and do my normal grocery shopping and everything else. So I was okay. But that was giving me the drive because I still had that chance to prove, you know, that I had that ability or talent to try and win races, which I was very lucky to do and win those three. Um, so it's, it's really down to how you're able to block out what's happened in a, in a, in a, in a bad way, like with Roman, you know, seeing, you know, when he's getting out of the car, for me, I sort of don't remember so much about what happened after the accident at all but he's going to see all that panic when he's in the car when he's trying to get out but his foot was stuck in the monocoque he's trying to find a gap that he can get out of there's flames in front of his eyes if, if he can block that out then he'll be okay and I said I think he's the right character to to be able to do that and I think the other guy I think was able to do it in a very similar way was probably Alex Zanardi when he lost his legs in in that horrible crash in Germany in, in, uh, in uh, Chankar. He's, it's surprisingly, being as an Italian, you thought he'd be all emotional about it. He wasn't. He just accepted it was what it was, but I still have a, a, a chance to maybe do a bit of racing again, which is what he did and won, won a, a GT race. But of course, then he did his, uh, you know, Olympic cycling stuff that he did as well. So it's really down to how you deal with that situation that is there in front of you. If you accept it and, you know, I'm still okay, I think you're, you're able to deal with it in a much better way. That's how I did, I did anyway. But Johnny, is there anything to, to be said for um, that blocking it out, compartmentalizing, if you like, is unhealthy? Because one thing I really noticed about Roman is how keen he was to talk about it. I mean, yeah. he talked and talked and talked. <laughs> and he did a very long interview with Martin and um, it felt like that was part of his therapy almost. I mean, did you have some pretty dark days before that call came? Because that did give you the target, as you say. Yeah. You must have felt before that, that you were kind of free falling and that everything that you'd worked towards your whole life was suddenly over in, in, in a moment. And all this talent that you had was potentially gonna be squandered. Yeah, but in my head, I was still believing that I could still drive a car. I remember when I was in hospital, my, my left ankle wasn't moving at all. And then when it moved for the first millimetre that sort of started to come away, I remember Peter Collins phoning me up and I said, it's moving, it's moving. My left foot started to move. And it only moved about another nine millimetres after that. I've only got about 10 millimetres movement now. But I always had this feeling that I would drive a car again I, I never knew it was going to be Formula One but I still had Peter Collins phoning, phoning me up nearly every day but definitely every every single week so that that was something that kept me going but if you take away Peter and take away the Benetton sort of option that I had I was still driven to get back in a car because I I had I had two choices I suppose one was to go away from racing, do rehab, then come back, then start racing again, and then try and prove yourself. Or you work as hard as you possibly can in those three or four months that I had before that first race in, in, in Rio and give it a go. And if you give it a go 
and he, and you succeed, which thankfully I, I was able to do, then it's worthwhile. But if it didn't work, at least I tried. So the, the options were sort of very, very limited, the two. And the first one I chose was the right choice because I think you've just got to push yourself. And it's amazing what the, what the body can do, what mentally you can, you can do as well to push yourself through it because the, the rehab was very hard because I went to Austria and I used to climb up this mountain in the middle of a forest. And it, and it I mean, hurt. I can't really explain how much it hurt, but it, it was making me cry when I was going about this 100 metres up this, up this 10% incline. But I had to go up, then I had to come back down again, then I'd have to go back up again, then I'd come down. We did about 10 times, I think. And it was the most painful thing that I've, I've ever experienced. But I knew there was, there was a direction that I was aiming at on four. So I knew I had to go through that. Like it wasn't never ever going to go away. And I only had, I was very lucky. I only had one day a month where I was just totally burnt out by it mentally, more mental and physical, just burnt out because I just couldn't go through another minute of, of the agony that I was going through. I woke up in the morning and there I was running up that, well, not running up that hill, but going up that hill in, in the morning. And then for that next month until the, the next day came along where I went down again. Um, but, it, but I got through it because I always had this strange belief that I would still be able to, to achieve it. So again, it always proves again that never give up. And how much did it bolster you and strengthen you knowing that Peter Collins shared that belief? What was yeah. it that he saw in you that the others clearly knew you were talented, but fell away. They obviously didn't see the tenacity that he did in you. Yeah, well, I can't really answer that really, because obviously that was somehow Peter had this belief that I would be able to sort of walk to a, to a Formula One car in Rio and actually then jump in it and then actually do the, the, the job that he believed I was able to do before, before I had the accident. That, that was just, that one is a, is a strange one because as I said, everybody else that I was talking to at that point just disappeared off the face of the earth. And I understand why they disappeared, but why Peter had this belief, I, I really don't know. Thank goodness he did. He did have that belief because it, it massively helped me in that mental side that we, we, you know, we discussed. And I think that was, such an important part for, for me. For Peter, in many respects, it probably hurt him. Not, not, not in a personal way, but because I think Formula One and Benetton, and this is when Flavio Briatore came into, into Formula One for the first time, he got, he got kicked out. And he got kicked out because obviously he had supported me. Things had started to go a little bit sort of south after that first race I had in Rio. Um, and then he got into... Uh, Lotus uh, in 1991 with Mika Hakkinen and Julian Bailey and then I joined Mika for the for, for the next two seasons when we were together with Mika um, and then at the end of 94 I think it was everything sort of went a little bit south and then that was the last time we saw Peter in, in Formula One so he sort of went from the big, this big team that he'd been involved with for a, a good few years to running Lotus for about the four, three, four years, and then obviously then it all coming to an end. So there was a big sacrifice that that Peter did as well, sticking with me. But of course, then I look at Rio and I go, well, it was, 
it was worth it. And it was a brilliant, a brilliant story uh, as well that he stuck with me and then I was able to do the job. But if but the rest of the season, and I only did another six races before I was, I was moved aside, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I wasn't in the right physical, probably more importantly than the, 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 the right physical way, because I wasn't able to do the job and push that brake pedal uh, as hard as uh, as hard as a, a normal person could, and I always struggled because of that. So, it, it, if I hadn't done it as I as I was as I discussed before, I wouldn't have had a career in Formula One. So, because I I had that one race in Rio, it sort of kept my my career alive. Is there any part of you that felt any resentment or bitterness towards those who didn't believe in you to the same extent as Peter? Um. I suppose I just, again, I was in my own little world. So I was always doing everything I possibly could to give myself sort of that chance. So although I didn't hear from Frank or Enzo, and probably Enzo died at the end of that year, uh, 89, um, I, the, the conversations didn't really hamper me personally because I had Peter Collins and I had Benetton and I had a seat. So I didn't have to worry about them. The only thing I felt when I was racing from probably 91 to the end of my career in 2000, I always felt I was having to prove myself. That was the only mental battle I had with, with maybe the, the paddock is I think there was always a question mark over what damage had been done to my feet and what that damage was creating when I was in the car itself, which was obviously maybe a little lack of speed. So I think I was always trying to tell everybody else that actually I'm, I'm better than you think, but probably I look back on my career and then probably the middle latter part of my career, the sensitivity that I needed when we had these groove tires that came into Formula One and the way that the aerodynamics uh, started to change. They become a, they became a lot more sensitive, I think, with uh, the 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 downforce and the way that the downforce was created on the car. So it was always a very very sharp front end, and you needed that ability to feel it all through the tips of your toes on on the pedals. And I lacked that, so I think I suffered a little bit more in the latter part. But at the time, I was still battling that. I was still thinking I could overcome that. And this is where I look back and say, well, you never were going to overcome it. But because of that, that gave me that drive to carry on uh, and give myself the best chance that I possibly could, which ended up me winning my last race in 99 for Stuart, for example. So it was, it was worth, worth, worth doing it for sure. But as I said, if I look back now, it never was going to be as good as it was before because it wasn't anywhere near as natural Um to drive a car, any car, uh, than it was before that. But as I said, you just got to keep pushing yourself to the limits. And that's probably no different to someone who, who gets into Formula One nowadays, maybe in a bad car, like George Russell, for example. You know, he's in a, he's in a, a difficult car. Um, he does a good job in it. And we all sort of go, yeah, he looks as if he's got the talent that's needed. Of course, then when he gets that chance, like we saw <clears throat> in Bahrain, it just proves that because he keeps on working, because he's mentally sort of keeping himself in a, in a good place, when he gets that chance, he's able to do the job. So it, there's similarities, slightly different because I've got, I've got a physical physical yeah. situation, but it's the mental side that is I find still very, very interesting in how these guys 
deal with the modern world of Formula One because it's not like when I started, right, with the damage that I got, I was news because I was obviously a, a guy getting into a Formula One car for the first time, damaged goods, as I always say it. But there was only, I think, the BBC. There was a couple of other sort of TV stations, uh, Globo, I remember. I think there was the Italians, obviously, Rye, I think it was. So you had the, the British press. You had some of the other press from other countries, and that was it. Now, with social media and there's more TV, there's more more, more uh, journalists there because of the way it is, with obviously, with the internet. So there's a lot more going on and a lot more rumours, a lot more information being spread around in a very, very speedy way, which didn't happen in my day. So they have to deal with a lot of different different pressures, I think. But I think some of them, like Sebastian, who doesn't do social media, doesn't do it because he doesn't want to want to hear and listen to it. So I think that's what he does because Lando loves it. Yeah. And it right. works for him. Thanks so much for listening to In The Pink. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast you've listened to so far. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Check out our Instagram page at in underscore the underscore pink. And you get all the details there about how you can win some of those Bose noise cancelling headphones. And join the community. We're all talking about the various guests that we've had on the podcast and who we'd like to see and hear in the next few weeks. So thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay connected with Bose. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.